welcome to the IoT Podcast Show. I'm your host, Tom White. Today, we have something a little bit different. We've got Nick Mills, the General Manager from Circle CI on the show. Now, for those that don't know, Circle CI is the world's largest continuous integration, continuous delivery platform. Uh, if anyone's involved in DevOps, you'll certainly be aware of CI CD. We're here today to talk about DevOps, and I'm delighted that Nick's come and joined us. Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Nice to be here. You're very welcome. Nick, could you start by just kicking off and telling us a little bit more about yourself, how you got into this position of general manager at CircleCI, and also I know a lot of people are interested about your past at Facebook and how that came about also. Yeah, sure. Um, so I've been with Circle CI now for uh, coming up to two years. Um, I'm the general manager for Europe, Middle East, and Africa. So what that basically means is it's kind of a uh, sort of mini CEO role within the region, uh, running the spectrum of functions for Circle CI as as a kind of business, if you like, as a subsidiary in the region, um, inclusive of go-to-market roles and other roles as well. Um, I joined Circle CI primarily because I was really bought into. The, the kind of the high leverage nature of what CircleCI is doing, which is obviously you know providing tools um, for automation and productivity for some of the uh, you know highest performing and most successful tech teams within uh, tech companies across uh, across the region, um, and you know I felt like we had a, a kind of really strong purpose, a really strong you know mission for the company, which is to try and kind of drive the, the level of performance to the highest highest possible level for some of these teams. Um, Prior to CircleCI, I'd run uh, revenue for UK and I at Stripe um, and a few other earlier stage startups, normally uh, coming in at sort of Series A, Series B and building from the ground up, sometimes first on the ground or maybe kind of pretty early on the ground in the region and scaling things up from there. Uh, and as you mentioned, also I spent uh, almost four years at Facebook uh, running EMEA cells um, back in the day as well, pre-IPO through to the sort of early period. Uh, acquiring Instagram and WhatsApp and uh, and that sort of phase. Wow. Okay. Um, sure, surely exciting times as well, right? At that point, pre-IPO, Facebook, lo- yeah. lo- lots of activity. I would imagine. It it was. It was. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I worked with some very very talented people, and I think, um, you know, particularly working at companies like Facebook, like Stripe, a little bit larger than maybe some of the earlier stage startups I've been at. I've tended to kind of oscillate between. Um, kind of growth to late stage tech and then going back into early stage tech and you in the in the larger companies you know they've obviously reached a certain kind of critical size and and had success and you know well beyond product market fit and at that point in time you've got great products and you're working with some of the best people in the world um, in their given fields and it's really you know I find it a great learning experience very enriching experience to learn new skills and to learn from peers and colleagues um, and you know very lucky through my time at both those companies to have have a relationship with some of the founders of those businesses and senior leaders in the company um, and then you know moving into the earlier stage companies you can you can take a lot of that learning and apply it you know get very deep and very broad in a smaller company and kind of test you know test those skills that you've learned in a startup environment so you know both have a lot of merits and I enjoy both um, and uh, yeah both have been particularly fun for me I think over the years. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, the Stripe, for, I mean, everyone knows Facebook's story, right? There's a film about it. Um, but Stripe, I, 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 I might be wrong in this, but it's, uh, is it the Collinson brothers, the twins, is that right, that started well, Stripe? Uh, brothers, not twins. And there's actually, right. uh, so it's two brothers, John and Patrick, who founded yeah. the company. 
Um, they have another brother actually who's, who's not involved in the business. Um, but uh, yeah, their, their story is that they were originally from Ireland. They're, they actually are one of the people that have sort of gen- genuinely lived the, the kind of the, the mythical startup founder story. So uh, born in Ireland, they went over to study in the US, um, but during the course of their studies, uh, start, launched a, an original company which they sold and they, they ended up not, I don't think they completed their university studies because they then came up with the idea of Stripe. Um, which is basically to, in a world which is shifting online and, and digitalizing in almost all, all kind of ways, um, you can think of whether that's like financial services companies, retailers, manufacturers of cars, all of these businesses are becoming digital and becoming software companies. Um, and they recognize very early that some of the infrastructure for supporting transactions online, e-commerce, um, in an online environment really wasn't uh, kind of fit for purpose. So, yeah, they launched Stripe um, back in uh, 2009, actually, during the financial crisis or the sort of fallout from that period. Um, and have really, you know, their mission is to is to kind of create the economic infrastructure for the internet. Um, although, although that may sound kind of hyperbolic because, you know, it sounds sort of a quite a grandiose mission. You know, you've really seen over the last 12 months both the increase in and the success that Stripe's had as a company and its recent valuation that uh, positions it as one of the most valuable private companies in the world at just shy of 100 billion private valuation, Um, but also just the growth in online transactions, even recently retailers like Sainsbury's in the UK, we're we're talking about the growth of the online revenue streams since last year, and it just goes to show the importance of being able to transact online and have the technology, the software, the infrastructure to make that work and be effective for uh, you know suppliers as well as consumers yeah no fant- fantastic background i mean you know if anyone wants to do any research on, on the brothers very studious um incredibly well learnt and um you know a, a great platform we actually use stripe uh we we run uh, the world's only iot job site actually and, and stripe is the main yeah. payment vehicle for that so so we know it and love, and love it very well um yeah. but we're here today to talk about circle ci uh, so uh, some of our listeners will be aware of Circle CI from a DevOps perspective and, and everything that the company does. But for those that don't understand that from a technical standpoint, could you give a short overview about the business, please, Nick? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess like the, the, the best starting point is to kind of draw a contrast to how software was previously uh, built and, and kind of delivered as a product and to end users. Um, going back, you know, a lot of companies still today, in fact, will, will, will run in a more of a traditional way. But certainly when I look back at um, you know, past companies I've worked for, probably before my time at Facebook, so you know, maybe going back kind of 10 years and, and, and beyond into the past, the traditional methods of building software, software were, were very kind of milestone driven using uh, structures such as the waterfall model, where you set a long-term kind of program of what you want to build or or kind of, you know, roadmap of of kind of product release features. And then you work to fixed releases, big releases, and over kind of fixed milestones. Um, And what what started to happen, uh, you know, certainly, you know, companies like Facebook, Google, Salesforce, and then in the last, you know, five or 10 years, companies like Stripe and others have really started to change the way in which software is built and and the the kind of culture and the tools that teams need in order to um, reduce the number of the the, the number of kind of 
batches of work into smaller increments so that you're not shipping large-scale change all at once. Instead, you're making small increments of change that if there's a problem, you can fix it quickly um, and you can enable your teams to move very, very fast and ultimately drive greater productivity. So with that kind of philosophical shift in mind, um, what CircleCI is all about is providing software to software developers in order to adopt some of those principles, move quickly, build products as fast as possible, get those products into the hands of users as quickly as possible. So, um, you know, we, we are a software delivery platform. Um, we enable software engineer, engineering teams to move from idea to uh, writing code and then delivering that code to users as quickly and seamlessly as possible. Um, to make all of that happen, we've got a deep and feature-rich uh, set of tools. Um, so it's all about building, testing and deploying code and then quickly and confidently validating that change and then moving that change, shipping that change into a live environment where a customer would be, uh, would, would be accessing that product. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's almost the phrase, it's easy, um, you know, once you know how, or hindsight's a beautiful thing, but if you think about waterfall and yeah. V-model methodologies, um, you talk about that now compared to an agile environment it, it almost seems quite old hat doesn't it really that you would actually try and do something along that uh, along that life cycle given the fact that things can change so quickly um, and feature requests may come in or, or something doesn't work and you need to be um, flexible to be in, 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 in order to make that happen so you know circle ci is, is really doing fantastic work um, in that environment i mean given obviously the fact that you know companies are maturing their devops journey at the moment um, and the importance being placed on test automation to ensure teams get faster builds, shorter feedback cycles. Um, how how is Circle CI uh, in in particular enabling that process and making it better for people? Yeah, I, um, kind of digging into to what we actually do then to it's kind of another level. I think there's there's kind of three things to keep in mind. The firstly, firstly, it's that we fundamentally enable faster performance um, sort of holistically for your team and through our, our platform and, and the kind of tooling that a company would use. So that's about building um, through a, a fast and reliable and scalable testing platform, the ability to manage increments of change in your code at scale and quickly. Um, and, th and then in order to do that, you need to have control over how you're actually configuring the testing and giving yourself kind of maximum test coverage and automating that test coverage so that you're not kind of blocked by an individual developer needing to then go and test some code they've written, wait for some tests to run or have a lot of manual kind of intervention in that process. So um, having control to be able to configure and orchestrate your software delivery kind of lifecycle overall in order to kind of map that to the things that your team wants to, or your company at, at large wants to optimize towards. Some companies are focused on in certain regulated environments, for example. There's a lot of kind of compliance, security, and, um, and, and, and aspects related to that that are really important. Others that are needing to be very responsive to consumer-focused uh, uh, consumer models are going to optimize towards speed. Um, in an ideal world, you obviously want to optimize the way that your team is running to both speed and quality. Obviously, if yeah. you, know, you can minimize the number of errors that you have up front, then that's going to minimize uh, changes that are required kind of down down the line. Um, I think, like the you, you know, certainly flexibility is important. That um, you know, we 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 
live in a world today where you're 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 likely to have like it's it's no longer that a change is going to be made just by an individual developer um, making a change to some code they're writing on their laptop and then shipping that code uh, or, or pushing that code via a git push into a version control system. That's obviously one source of change, but increasingly when companies these days are breaking apart their their, their, their kind of uh, source code into microservice kind of areas of the product that uh, that they're managing, um, where they're also relying on a lot of open source code. So there was um, a report recently uh, which said that 40% uh, of code living in companies' projects or products today is actually open source, which means that it's obviously managed by someone outside your business, external to your business. Um, and that's only going to increase to as much as 80% by 2024, 2025, kind of mid this decade. There's a lot of change that's going to come from outside of your code base that's going to impact your product. Um, so in addition to microservices and open source, a lot of companies are also using uh, you know, companies that are service providers like a Stripe or a Twilio or an Auth0 that are not just like ancillary services managed via API by another company, but often Stripe as it is an example where it's a core part of your platform managed by a third party. So if Stripe makes a change via its API, you've got to respond to that change. So for a lot of companies, um, kind of almost now irrespective of the sector you're in or the business model you have or the kind of customers you're serving, that change is coming from many different directions. And it's almost impossible. You might have seen, uh, you know, the examples will be like Netflix or Amazon with the, the kind of the death star of microservices and third party services that make up uh, the products that they have or the platforms they run. To, to, for a person to understand all of that is almost impossible, if not impossible. Um, so you have to ultimately automate through technology. Um, and there's kind of material, you know, obviously technical challenges as to why you need to do that. But there, there's also, you know, cost challenges. Um, you know, I, I like to point out that the, uh, in dollar terms, the cost of a developer minute is typically on average $1.65 but the cost of a compute minute is 0.006 of a dollar. So you could have your, your finite, precious, you know, hard to hire, hard to retain developers focused on manual tasks, um, but it's not really very cost effective to do that. And if, if you have a developer that's needed to do the same task more than a couple of times, you should really automate that through, uh, using technology. Um, it's gonna be cheaper and it's just gonna scale faster and you're gonna enable your developers to do a lot more as a result. So, um, you know, the, the flexibility to then build a platform that supports your business needs and automate all of that process and then allow your developer teams to focus on the bigger picture, the products they're building and getting more, you know, more sort of value for, for their time um, is ultimately what it's, what it's all about. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, that's gotta be a take home phrase there, hasn't it? The cost. Uh, per compute, uh, so was it cost per minute for com computational com and 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 one for a developer and, yeah, and the delta it. between those? I mean that that's that's a fantastic figure and for for something that's um, really poignant. Um, I mean from from our side and some of the work that we do a lot. So we've done a, an awful lot of conversions of manual testing teams to to automated, right? It's a quite a laborious task to go about things in a manual way. And if you can create an automation around that, that's where the world's going. And you've only got to look at RPA, AI, machine learning. Um, and this is why you know it was really interesting to get 
you on from Circle CI to talk about how this is changing the IoT world because a lot of people are using Agile and, and DevOps environments in order to release software and release um, changes to software in their IoT infrastructure very, yeah. very quickly. You mentioned Twilio, of course, as well. So Twilio is synonymous quite a lot with uh, mobile um, um, uh, infrastructures and what have you, and certainly from um, from some of our clients using Twilio as well. So, um, yeah, very, very much hand in hand. Yeah, and, and I think what's a really kind of interesting um, you know, thing that we're seeing, I, I say... In, in the US, maybe a little bit earlier than, than in EMEA, but uh, certainly in this region in the last couple of quarters, um, is a shift in the types of companies that are using CircleCI, whether they're coming to us as sales opportunities. I've got a sales team uh, in, in Europe uh, that's 20-odd that's people now, and, and obviously we talk to a lot of customers that are just in the early stages of getting into CICD or, or kind of embracing DevOps practices. But the mainstay of our customer base has traditionally in this region been companies that have, as Europe, European tech and, and the kind of startup tech scene has exploded over recent years, we've seen you know year-on-year -year record increases in venture capital investment into companies that are getting larger and larger, staying longer through the VC life cycle as tech companies. Those companies have tried to emulate the way that companies like Google and, and Facebook and, and Salesforce and others build software. And that's been the kind of the mainstay of our customer base up until now. So, you know, that's been great because we work with companies like uh, Monzo, Deliveroo, Babylon Health. Um, we work with some car manufacturers that are doing interesting stuff um, to do with self-driving vehicles. We work with some, some really exciting companies that in part are certainly uh, kind of leveraging Internet of Things capabilities, AI and machine learning capabilities. And they certainly need this, the speed and, and the kind of the advanced capabilities. But a, a big shift in the last couple of quarters has been more traditional companies that are now starting to recognize that it's no longer really a question of whether you build software, but how you build software. And the, you know, the FT produced a report in uh, January this year that said that this was a UK-specific report that said that every medium to large corporate was experimenting in some way with software-based innovation and a great proxy for modern software development is using continuous integration and con continuous deployment uh, tools and, and kind of practices. Um, and, and we're certainly, certainly seeing that. We're seeing, you know, financial services companies, we're seeing more traditional retailers, we're seeing manufacturers of fertilizers, we're seeing automotive companies that you wouldn't necessarily consider or, or wouldn't have considered to be kind of really high on the on self-driving vehicles uh, yeah. kind of, uh, market. All of them are starting to come to us um, and are interested in not just like experimenting internally in innovation labs or like one specific area of their business, but they're looking at it as a wholesale kind of shift that they want to move all of their teams onto much more modern, fast and kind of quality driven uh, software practices. And they need ultimately the best in class tools to do that. Um, McKinsey produced a great report actually recently talking about developer velocity and they really highlighted that you, there's four things you need to do. One is to empower your developers with world-class tools. Um, you know, the second is to then create a culture of um, kind of psychological safety um, and, a, and a, kind of, a kind of culture whereby failing is okay because it should be part of innovation and it should be part of an iterative and kind of modern uh, kind of culture uh, within a software engineering team. Um, and then, you know, thirdly, you need to create a comprehensive product management structure that buys into that fast pace of release um, rather than locked into long-term milestones and, and kind of larger batches of work. 
Um, and, then, and then finally, I think the other area that they referenced and we certainly talk a lot about is investing in the experience that your developers have in an empowered, developer-empowered environment. And you know, some of that's career development, but a lot of it relates to using first-class, you know, latest tools uh, and technologies so they can really improve their productivity and enjoy what they do using cutting-edge tech. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a fantastic list, and, 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 you know, I'd go a little bit further and say empowerment ac- accountability, right? People yeah. should hold themselves accountable to, to empower themselves through what they're doing and through having that culture. We, t- we talk a lot internally about... Um, you know, culture, and, and if you notice that the the room's quiet, or if you notice that there's a, there's an issue, who's the first person to notice? Well, it's the first person. Uh, sorry, who's the first person to say anything? It's the first person to notice, right? Yeah. Um, and to be able to talk about that, and to have this um, very flat structure of we all holding each other accountable to try and try and get the best out of uh, each other and, and, and the environment. Well, in your opinion, I mean, you, you, obviously you're very well uh, spoken in this environment, uh, Nick, but what are the crucial challenges then for DevOps um, moving forward and, and how can CircleCI kind of combat some of these? Yeah, that's, it's, a, it's a great question. I think, um, I suppose there's like three, three areas that would be common, but they're not always consistent across every every team or every organization. Um, I think the things that I, I tend to look for or, or we would certainly you know, advocate for, for companies to focus on wherever they are in their, in their DevOps journey would be you know, culture. We just talked a little bit about that, but creating an environment where um, you get away from the idea that failure is a bad thing. It should be a good thing because it's a learning opportunity and making sure that developers can take risks. Um, we, as a, a sort of as an aside, we, we published a report at CircleCI uh, back in the autumn time called the state of software delivery where right. because we work with a lot of companies across lots of different sectors we, we work just in a mere alone in 66 countries with paid customers so we've got a really broad view of different types of businesses and fundamentally how they're running their software teams um, and we track four uh, key metrics in particular that talk about how quickly you can recover, how much throughput or productivity you drive, um, and, and uh, how kind of innovative or how much risk you're taking in your business. Um, and what we saw in the UK is that the UK companies um, generally have very high productivity or throughput. They basically ship a lot of code, move very quickly, but they also very rarely make errors in the code, which is you'd think a good thing, but actually that's a bad thing because what we're seeing is that the success rate's too high for what we would expect to see in a fast-paced, innovative environment. Um, mm. So, obviously, you know, case by case, it, it, it always varies, but it gives cause to think that companies aren't necessarily taking enough risks um, and and could probably stand to give more kind of freedom and create a, more of a culture of, of risk-taking for their developer teams to, to, to kind of get that benefit of innovation. Um, I think the, you know, the, the, the other thing is like, operations so you know definitely i talked before about the need to kind of break things down into smaller and smaller batches mm. um you know we obviously we talk a lot about that and that that's fundamentally changed the way that software teams work by by making that shift um but a, a big thing too in the context of operations is actually starting to in-house a lot of your software engineering you know traditionally in, in places like the uk and germany a lot of and also more traditional companies in particular have outsourced a lot of their it and software development where, where we obviously had a big kind of push over the you know sort of 15 to 20 years ago to outsource um, you know we believe that 
there's still a place for that, but bringing things back in-house and investing in your software team, knowing that it is, it is a core value creator for your business is really important. Um, and then, you know, setting up the kind of the operational and, and, and kind of uh, technological structures to support that team. So, you know, what is the system uh, and the elements of this system that you're operating to? What kind of tooling, you know, uh, are you going to use to kind of optimize parts of your system, um, automating as much as possible, test coverage to, to kind of help do that. Um, and then and then I think like the final area is we would always encourage companies to take a metrics driven approach. Um, we, we'd say sort of mix in this region, like some companies are, are really laser focused on one particular metric. You know, we, we've got four that we published in our report that we think all of them have value and none of them on its own really should be the one kind of key thing you focus on, but it does depend on your business. Um, but first things first is to take a metrics driven approach um, try and clearly define what metrics are important for you and then benchmark for you. It's useful using a report like ours to look at how you benchmark against other high performing companies, but um, ultimately what's most valuable and there's no one size fits all kind of approach, it should absolutely be kind of tailored to the given team. What's most important is to baseline your best, your most important metrics against your best performance that you're seeing, and then seek to improve that performance. Um, so, you know, really, really, kind of those those three areas, I think, are, are the ones that I would uh, recommend looking at, and they're often the areas that companies, depending on where they are on that journey, have the biggest challenges with. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. No, that's that's fantastic, um, and I'm and I'm curious to know where this is all going. So, we started this show by talking about the traditional waterfall and v model approach to software development and we look back at that and we kind of laugh and think oh how silly that was um where are we going in the future with devops and and where is circle ci going yeah yeah um i think you, you know thinking about some of the trends that we see one is you know we've we've kind of alluded to it as we've been chatting today one is just just generally you know the pervasiveness of modern software development practices and, and i don't just mean software and teams building software but the, the most advanced practices are becoming more and more broadly uh, adopted it's, it's definitely no longer just for startups it's certainly large um you know larger corporates and it's not just innovation labs but more broadly across organizations um you know jeff uh, jeff lawson from twilio said something the other day in uh, that, that kind of caught my eye which was that the landscape shifted from the classic build versus buy to build versus die scenario which is kind of quite a bold statement, but I think it kind of emphasizes the right point that companies need to invest in not just software broadly, but the practices and the people that are, that are going to kind of bring that culture to life um, in order to kind of really, you know, really survive and, and, and thrive in the future. Um, but drilling into that, I think there are a few, few trends that stand out. You know, I've mentioned a couple of them. So, you know, certainly more open source and, and greater use of open source, um, you know, shift to cloud. We've seen that in the last year where, you know, teams would have been running their, 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 their CICD tests on build machines under a desk in an office, that's obviously not been possible when we've all been remote and it's very doubtful that people are likely to shift away from cloud now that they've accelerated their adoption of it. Um, I think, you know, increased use of microservices, that's, that's, that's the case for sure. And we're increasingly seeing companies adopt um, the, the idea that they want to use more than one cloud, so a multi-cloud strategy and even a multi-VCS strategy. So. The combination of that is a lot more complexity, um, you know, a lot of different sources of change. And so when you kind of put all that together, the source of change can come from anywhere. The need to automate the validation of that change 
through technology such as CircleCI and, and, and partners that we integrate with. Um, and you know, to, to McKinsey's point that you've got to then invest in the best in breed technologies for, for, for your very precious developer resources, partly so that they are, you know, they're, they're kind of maximizing their productivity, partly because they want to, from a career perspective, use the best tools. Um, and thirdly, you know, tying that to business outcomes is gonna be absolutely critical. Um, you know, again, the McKinsey article I mentioned earlier, that really talked about the fact that the companies that invest in tools and some of these modern practices are going to have, and their data uh, shows they will have the best outcomes for the company, for shareholders, if you're an early, earlier stage company, for your investors and for your employees. Um, so I think the, the kind of the, the reasons are clear and, um, you know, really the complexity is only going to get harder. So investing in tools and, and cut it, uh, cutting edge technologies that, um, that help you kind of manage all of that is key. Um, you know, final thought is we, we're definitely seeing um, an increase in, you know, best in breed and a desire for interoperability. So, you know, traditionally the, the kind of, you know, the approach of selling IT to the CTO or CIO who then mandates tools across the organization is certainly how in my day at Microsoft, that was my objective when I, when I worked there. Uh, these days, you know, we see even some of the largest corporates really empowering smaller teams or smaller parts of their organization to make these decisions and to move quickly. Um, and we are, we, we're, even in the startup world, actually, we're seeing the emergence of a sort of in-between, you know, central IT purchase versus team empowerment. The, the kind of the in-between, which I think we'll, we'll, we'll see more of and will certainly scale, is the idea of a developer experience team. Mm. So this is a team that exists centrally within your organization, whatever size and scale your organization is, that assembles uh, tools, practices, metrics, acquires, you know, manages your vendors and, and kind of creates a uh, sort of uh, best in best practice, sort of best in class set of, of kind of principles and operational tooling and, and measurement that then will make that available to your product building teams as a service. Where we see that work particularly well is that's a centralized team that standardizes to a certain extent um, and that gives you, you know, scalability uh, as an organization and, and returns to scale. But where we see that work particularly well is bringing that in, but still in an, in an empowered environment. So a given team or developer could still choose to go their own way and use something different if there's a real kind of crucial need for the product they're building or, or, or the way they want to work, but also getting the benefits of standardization and scale through that developer experience team. Um, you know, I'm seeing that in some venture capital backed companies, also in uh, some, some larger, more, more sort of traditional corporates that we are working with and certainly companies we're talking to. Yeah, that, that's really interesting, actually, the developer experience team. It, uh, we hear a lot about centers of excellences when it comes to the new normal about offices and what that looks like. And that, for me, that, that sounds very similar to a, you know, a place where people can actually meet code. Uh, you look at these kind of events that happen in, in tech, hackathon type events, you know, where people are coding against each other. Um, and uh, it sounds like something that could be part of this new normal, right? This experience team, people joining and getting involved together um, to create maybe proof of concepts and ideas and how to take that to, to another stage. That's a really useful insight. Nick, yeah, thank you so much for coming on to the show. It's been fantastic, honestly, learning more about the company. It's, it's really, really interesting. You know, clearly very passionate about it and, uh, you know, inc incredibly articulate the way that you've expressed this and uh, on behalf of the business. Um, where can people find out more about CircleCI? I assume social media, you're on various channels? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, our, well, our, our website's circleci.com, so you know we've got loads of information and, and use, use cases and stuff like that on the website. Um, we are at circleci.com on Twitter uh, as well, and um, obviously, you know, we've got a LinkedIn page. Um, I'm on LinkedIn as well, and always open to connecting and love meeting new people and networking. So very happy to connect and answer any questions that people have. Okay, uh, you've said it now, Nick. You're going to get lots of uh, lots of connection requests. Uh, thank you so much. Come and join us and give us your comments in the conversation that we're having on LinkedIn to find out more about DevOps. We'd be eager to see it. And as always, if you'd like to find out more about the podcast, sign up to the newsletter for the latest releases and blogs that will be coming out.